Welcome to the National Institute for Gamer Review, Episode 9. I am Dharma King, joined by Lewis. Hey, it's good good to be here. Good to, good to do this episode. We've both been wanting to do this one. It's kind of near and dear to all our hearts, and it kind of charts the whole industry as a whole in a lot of good ways. So Yeah, uh, today uh, we're discussing the, the rise and fall of Bioware, and I think, as, as you say, it's... Um, I don't know. I at some point, um, you know, like uh, it, it's it may be worth like thinking more systemically about this. But I think at a sort of first approximation, you can really divide um, the history of the video game industry along technological lines. Um, you know, I, I guess you you had the early arcade games and and uh, the Intellivision and the Atari are all kind of the first wave of video games. Uh, and then I guess you, you had a second wave in the, in the, in the mid to late eighties and early nineties, um, with the, with the, uh, Famicom or, or Nintendo. And I, I think you could really put the, um, the Commodore 64 kind of closer in that generation than with the previous one, although it's sort of transitional in certain ways. And I know the ZX Spectrum was popular in the UK, but anyway, um, starting, I, I would, you know, in, in retrospect, Put the dividing line with with Windows 3.1, um, and and or, or maybe Windows 95, uh, kind of depending. Although you know it, it doesn't really matter all that much. But but when um, with the introduction of um, you know more storage capacity, and more RAM, and and more the ability for for these systems to display more colors, um, you you really started seeing much more complex. Um, video games starting to to be released and 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 I think um, you know while while Bioware has its roots in some of those earlier games and, and is very clearly drawing on DOS titles from the 1980s um, in some ways I think it particular you know looking back on it and in, in retrospect uh, Baldur's Gate in particular which is 1998 which I guess is a little late as far as the kind of um, generational divide that I'm trying to make, but still, um, Baldur's Gate and Bioware are really, I, I think they they um, they represent the 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 peak, the zenith of um, you know whatever second or third generation, however you depending you want to look at it, but this um, post Windows ninety five world, um, uh, it, and and has been around ever since and and so then not not just like you know they've been a mainstay of the computer gaming scene uh, from all the way back in 1998 and 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 that technological era through the 2000s and the 2010s and you know while technically they have projects in development and you know technically they they are, are I guess still earning revenue 
um, part of the reason why we wanted to do this show now is is this sort of you know quasi breaking news. Um, uh, within the past couple of days, it was announced that their most recent title, Anthem, which is just sort of a horrible failure in, in multiple regards. I never personally played it, so I guess I can't comment too much, but I, you know, nobody really liked it. It didn't do well. Well, there'll be plenty more to talk about Anthem in a bit, but um, I I think it's it's increasingly clear that the things that, that made Bioware good and successful are all gone. And while I'm sure their, you know, desiccated zombie husk will continue to shamble around for a little while yet, um, you know, stick a fork in it. Bioware's done. Um, this is it. This is the end. It's over. Um, and I'm, I'm actually not 100% convinced that um, either Dragon Age 4 or their um, uh, new, supposedly they have a new Mass Effect title in development. I... I I think it's more likely that something called Dragon Age 4 comes out um, and that might very well be the last thing that ever comes out under the Bioware label. But we'll, we'll, we can circle back to this. I guess it's um, it's best to maybe start at the beginning or, or before I do, Lewis, did you have any anything you wanted to add? Uh, yeah, I think, well, I think one thing where we talk about a lot is the, so uh, Bioware games are kind of unique. They, they take kind of a vast, like, there's a lot of difference in the gameplay as they develop. Uh, they get better or different. A lot of the games play very differently, like the actual like mechanics that you're doing. But the writing, I think, is the big the, the big like, kind of signature of Bioware, and how that the how how important writing is to any kind of RPG is obviously you know it's kind of self-evident. It's a single-player story, so the writing better be good. And I think a lot of the story of Bioware is a story of like the writers and their uh, relative qualities. Absolutely. I mean, that um, was one of the... Okay, so maybe let, let this, this is a, that's a great way to segue back to the sort of um, historical frame that, that we were... that I was going with in the, in the very beginning. So, um, the... You know, what is an RPG? I mean, obviously, Bioware, I, I guess, more than any other single thing, you could, you know, they're, they're sort of the premier, have been one of the, one of the premier developers of, of, of role-playing games. Um for the past 20 plus years uh rpgs is, is, i mean is, in some ways it's just it, it's a nonsense category it, it could be any number of things it's a it's a huge you know field it um the the thing is when, when it comes to bioware in particular we're, we're like rpgs as a genre are defined by um a lot of text often. I mean, they, they, there's, they have their roots in the text adventures, which is one of the earliest genres of, of computer games like Zork, right? Where, you know, you input commands and everything is being described to you by text. Um, the, the, one of the key um, things that made uh, the, this, this, that later generation of, of, um, of RPGs better or, or, or more noteworthy was that, they were aiming to tell a coherent narrative that again the, the relationship between video games and narrative is is complex and fraught um it, it's definitely not the case you know there, there's always a tension between being hit with a wall of text that you're expected to read and like actually interactively playing a game um you know the the earliest edition of the first edition of dungeons and dragons was 
basically not supposed to be narrative at all. It's you get your friends, you sort of it's it's very lightly role playing in the sense of, you know, you're you're sort of um you're not talking. You're 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 using your abilities and crawling through a dungeon and getting treasure and trying to get out without getting killed. And then there really isn't too much more to it than that, except for maybe a little bit of flavor text. As the um, pen and paper role playing games develop, the uh, the ability you know the, the 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 flavor text acquires a greater and greater importance. As, as that's happening, computer games are starting to become, that's, you know, like in the, into the 80s and early 90s, computer games are really taking off. But the ability of computer games to represent, you know, um, to just even just at a physical level to have a large amount of data is, is really is difficult. Doesn't that capacity doesn't really exist um, starting you know, I mean, I guess people often point to Betrayal at Crondor. There are some of these, you know, more narratively influenced uh, or, or things that are trying to tell a more complex story. But I really think, you know, Baldur's Gate, I keep referencing, that was actually their second title. Their first title was kind of a, was Shattered Steel was in 1996 was a, was a Mech Warrior ripoff. Um, Baldur's Gate really did, I mean, it, it, it's hard to say, like overstate, um, what, how much of an impact it had, and and how much that impact was was reliant upon its um its attempt to tell a really engrossing story and have really engrossing characters, really engrossing narrative, and 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 it, it hits you with a lot of text, um, and you know at least for a certain kind of player and a certain kind of time that it, it um, you, you don't mind, I guess is the simplest way to put it. I mean, it, what's funny is I guess, I, you know, that was even more the case for, for the sequel, Baldur's Gate 2. Um, in some ways, Baldur's Gate, the first Baldur's Gate was um, uh, n- like, n- not as not as text heavy, not as stories, narratively driven um, as, as Baldur's Gate 2, but, uh, both of these titles, and really all of all of the titles that they that they put out in this era, and 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 the affiliated studio Black Isle, um, which was part of the same umbrella under Interplay, uh, very important publisher at the time. Uh, you know, I, I, I uh, we'll have to find, I guess, a, a, another person to talk about Planescape Torment, which was a very influential game on me personally. Um, Black Isle developed. Both of the original Fallout's, that's Fallout One, Fallout Two, and Planescape Torment, in addition to Icewind Dale, and um, and uh, being involved with the, with the publication of, of Baldur's Gate. So here we have a um, like I mean these are all classics. Each and every single individual title that I just mentioned, um, ideally, we'll have to have an episode on on I think each of them. I think it, they all kind of deserve it. Um, this was this was the golden age of the the uh, like Windows ninety five Windows ninety eight that kind of first flowering of, of when you're actually able to have multimedia and you're actually able to have you know functionally all the hard drive space you need particularly when it comes to to writing text and you have a core group of passionate people um, who you know grew up playing RPGs both pen and paper and and computer RPGs and and they're smart actually the the founders of, of Bioware were uh, you know, kind of famously, it was uh, uh, three medical students, or two medical students, and a, and a, I, I forget, two people had, uh, it was this, uh, Ray Musica and, and Greg Seshuk, um, were had just both graduated from medical school when they yeah. founded BioWare. 
Um, and notably, their third like partner, uh, Augustin Yip. Uh, so after the success of Baldur's Gate, they you know went full time with video games. Yip said, "Fuck it, I'm going to be a doctor." He just <laughs> kept practicing medicine full time, uh, and kind of he kind of pieced out. But you know, the the I think the, the doctors kind of became a, a legendary thing uh, in and of themselves. Like, like you'll they were kind of referred to. It. I don't know. I don't know how true it was, but they were kind of considered the, the special sauce of what made these game like Bioware games good. I think it's pretty clear that they were. I mean, yeah. I mean, these are you know. Again, looking back on it, yeah. I mean, it takes a lot of people to make a lot of people make a game. But yes. A lot of people, but yes. But yeah, the, I mean, looking back on it, one hundred percent, they were the most influential. But yeah, they they definitely there was a, in the mid two thousands there was a, they definitely had a kind of legendary status, and they uh, still kind of do. Even though they don't, they've reti- since retired. They're right. still, they're still kind of looked on as like the kind of uh, King Arthur, in who will one day <laughs> return and fix Bioware. You know, yeah. Press F, I guess, or S, depending on how angry you are about it. Um, I think it goes to show you a couple things, and and you know maybe this is, um, I mean, just to take a step back, like. artistic endeavors are not served well, I think by the professionalization of, uh, artisanship. I mean, well, or, or within certain limits, like to be a professional craftsman, right. Of a certain sort is like, is one thing. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, for the, for the big brain nibbas in the room, I'm, I'm introducing a, distinction here between art and techni in the Aristotelian sense. Um, in other words, like if you're really good at, you know, wood carving or um, hell, you know, uh, milling or, you know, or, or, or whatever, or, you know, painting as a kind of technical skill, um, you know, historically there's a role for that and people are well compensated based on their craftsmanship and skill in a kind of objective sense. And you can tell, I mean, obviously there's a, you know, to some extent there's going to be a subjective element, but I think it's pretty clear that, you know, being able to make a nice painting or being able to make a nice sculpture in, in you know, for certain values of nice where, where we're talking, you know, um, aesthetically pleasing and conforming to reasonably objective standards of, you know, human anatomy and things like that. Um, these are these are skills, and you can be better or worse, and have more or less talent. But but it's a skill that you can develop, and you can sort of once you reach a certain level, or um, you can crank them out, and you can take just about anyone and give them enough you know time and materials and training, and and get them to crank out something. And and I think you can really see that in you know things like um, software development and, and and video game development in particular, where um, you know you get a couple guys, you know you get you get people. Um, you know, trained up on on uh, whatever you know art program or or, or learn enough whatever programming language, and you know, you'll get a competent result at the end of that. The the problem is um, to make something truly sublime, to make something that really stands the test of time, as as an artistic object, um, something really valuable in 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 a, in a profound way. That I don't think you can you can really. Um, that's something beyond mere craftsmanship, um, and that's something that the more that you professionalize an industry, the the harder that it is um, to produce. Like Michelangelo, you know, <laughs> Michelangelo was an excellent craftsman, you know, superb. There's no, you're not going to find a 
just a like a better craftsman but but it wasn't just his craftsmanship that makes the david or the sistine the paint the, the roof of the sistine chapel sublime it's 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 something else and and that's not something that you can capture with an industrial process um, video games at this time, and you know, through the the mid to late 1990s, really into the 2000s, and to to some extent, um, had just not been professionalized at all. You know, it, it was something that, um, literally in the in the early days, you know, teenagers in their in their basement would make. You know, like uh, uh, there's a lot of famous examples. You know, Richard Garriott, of the Ultima fame. You know, did Ultima one when he was literally a teenager. In his working on the family PC, um, very similar situation with Wing Commander. Um, say what you will about uh, you know Star Citizen and that whole disaster, but um, Wing Commander was was um, revolutionary and, and a great uh, thing. And it was basically a solo project by a, I don't know if he was literally he might have been in his early twenties at the time, but regardless, I mean this is the kind of thing you could see because um, for for a variety of reasons. But the point I'm making here is. Um, this was a time when a couple of you know recent medical school graduates who were passionate about the possibilities of you know electronic entertainment or whatever video games, PC games as a as an artistic medium could throw their hat in the ring and and um, create something really special that touched a lot of people and and sent shockwaves through the industry and also yeah, and made them a lot of money and blah 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 blah. But um, I, I think it really goes to show you how. Um, how important artistic vision is and 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 how uh how far we've fallen from that time and and i think if there is hope for the video games industry as a whole it's um it's going to be in finding ways for for people who who love the medium to um to to get back to that and and you know that's why you know we've talked a little about ourselves and it would be great i think for us or or, you know like-minded people to get together and and start work on 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 some projects because you know it's not too late and there's definitely things that can be done. But anyway, that's enough of that rant. I just wanted to maybe make that point in this in this context. Yeah, and if you're following the news today, uh, something major came out kind of along those lines of oh, like the kind of hobbyist, you know, uh, programmer doing very well is that the you know GTA 5's online load times were just cut by seventy percent. By some guy in his, because it's basically it usually takes you get like six minutes to load uh, GTA Online, which is ridiculous, and it's been that way for years. And some guy just tinkering about with the code just found a way to knock it down seventy percent. There you go. Just because, yeah. and and you know that's so you compare that to like you know, the millions of dollars of you know how much how how much many millions went to GTA Online, you know, and uh, how many pro- pro- professionals and. It's, you know, there's a kind of a diminishing returns of professionalization where it's just it's just better to be a uh, a regular guy, you know, or a regular guy who cares, you know, as opposed to a professional getting a check. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Uh... I think, I mean, I, there's, there's some... There's, I'll read some, some quotes here from the... Um, from the, de- the development tab on the Wikipedia article about Baldur's Gate, because I think it, it really sort of uh, makes this point even more. He says, according to Musica, our head programmer had actually read every one of the Forgotten Realms books, everything, every single one of the short stories and the paperbacks. He made a point of it. He really wanted to immerse himself. For- Forgotten Realms is one of the Dungeons and Dragons, it was the licensed Dungeons and Dragons setting that the, the game takes place in. 
that the game required 90 man years of development, which was spent simultaneously creating the game's content and the Bioware Infinity Engine, which I'll say more about in a second. Um, unusually for the time, graphics were not built from tiles. Each background was individually rendered, which greatly extended the amount of time needed to create the game. Uh, if you have, haven't played it, you should. I mean, this is def- I want to hard endorse every, every single two-dimensional isometric Infinity Engine game ever released like go out and play it you know i mean they're like five bucks on on good old games and good for dozens of hours of, of entertainment and and you know piece of history of video game history um uh at the time that the game was shipped none oh sorry just on that note uh, the, in terms of individually rendered the are the artwork is phenomenal i mean again here you really see that it's a labor of love as um He's about to, as he said, Ray Musica said that the team held a quote passion and a love of the art, and they developed a collaborative design spirit. Um, so these are people who had never released a video game, who were just absolute nerds about the source material, and and put their heart and soul into this project. And 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 there you go. Yeah, I mean, I I can't really say. I mean, the the, the sorry, did you want to jump in? Yeah, I was saying at this point, like in the mid '90s, it was probably you know, the golden era of you know D and D and to be a video game developer getting like the D&D video game is like that's like the most responsibility you could have you know in that little niche of the world like yep. it's it's like being given nuclear carrots kind of and they really did kind of nail it yeah um, the, uh, and I will say you know the, um, the again the sort of I mean the in a, in a way the uh, that, I, that I guess really speaks to their to their later success as well you know the the kind of overall plot of Baldur's Gate is I mean you know there's there's it's got a little bit of a twist sort of and and there's some you know um, narrative you know developments and so on but really where it shines and and I think and you, you, this is what what sets the tone for for their later titles as well really where it shines is the um, the the characters and the world building um, they do a really excellent job of um, immersing you. In, into this game world and and giving you very interesting um, characters, you know, player, you know, party members and not to uh, to interact with, and and all of these interactions are extremely well written, as as you as you said earlier, Lewis, and it's really true. the The quality of writing in these titles is is, is quite high, um, and they're they're uh, I, I don't really think I mean with the like. Again, so let me let me read again this list of um, uh, titles developed by by uh, published and developed by Black Isle because because Black Isle was the was the wing of Interplay that that published Baldur's Gate. Uh, they did not develop Baldur's Gate. That was Bioware, but the two were you know Bioware and Baldur's and Black Isle were quite closely related. These are Fallout One, 1997; Fallout Two, 1998; Planescape Torment, 1999; Icewind Dale, 2000. Um, that's Black Isle. Uh, they also did Icewind Dale 2 and, and some other stuff, expansions and the like. Published Baldur's Gate, Baldur's Gate 2, um, and and then Bioware themselves did, uh, what else they did? I can't, <laughs> lost the thing. Anyway, like the, all of these titles that I just mentioned have extremely good writing. Um, I think my, my personal favorite or at least I would have to revisit maybe would be would be Planescape Torment um, which I definitely want to do an episode on at some point but um, you know even the titles with 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 uh, comparatively less um, 
Torment in particular is very, very narratively driven in a way that the others aren't. It has, you know, good world being, building and characters, but it's, it's very narratively driven. Um, the others are, are, you know, more world and character driven. Um, and yet for all that, they, they're just, uh, I can't speak highly enough of, of the quality of these titles. Um, I lost my train of thought. It doesn't really matter. Uh, so, so the, uh, oh yeah, I remember where I was going with this. So the, uh, one of the, in, one of the things that, that this showed up, um, the most in, in Baldur's Gate 2, the sequel, um, uh, that I think, you know, at the time was, was really revolutionary. Um, in hindsight, kind of became an albatross around Bioware's neck. And I think in, in some ways is, is it either I don't know if how how much it's responsible for their downfall or just an index for their downfall, but um, in any case, uh, Baldur's Gate Two had a romanceable party member. Uh, actually, had several romanceable party members. Um, this was also this was, there was one kind of quasi romanceable party member in Planescape Torment, but it, it was sort of like a it was like. Um, it was very, very, I, I, technically that came like a year earlier in terms of publication. And, uh, uh, technically I guess it was like in the writing in the game, but it wasn't, it wasn't really, um, I don't know how to, we'll discuss it in the, in the Planescape Torment episode if we ever, well, no, we will do one. Um, it, it's kind of a very minor scene and, and doesn't really, um, add or really detract much, all that, all that much from the, from the characterization of the of the character in question um in Baldur's Gate 2 while you did have several possibilities as far as um you know player player character party members you could start some kind of a relationship with uh the the game kind of really it's very clear that you are like particularly playing as a male character which is sort of like if you're supposed to be a male um, the, it, it's like the, the kind of elf girl is the waifu that the game is kind of heavily pushing you towards so much so that in the, uh, expansion to Baldur's Gate 2, which is kind of almost, you know, sequel length in its own right, um, you can have a child with her and, and so, and, and at the time, again, at the time, the idea that like, you know, that, that, um, first of all, there would really be much of a story at all or, you know, much of kind of character and world building in a deep way at all was, was somewhat revolutionary that, um, that you would have, uh, well fleshed out characters to that extent. It was, it was also kind of revolutionary. You know, I mean, this is, this is, you know, they, they just didn't really exist so much that you could then on top of all that put so much, time and effort and energy writing wise into having this like subplot focused on your personal relationship with your party members um, and that it could develop in various ways. There was just nothing like it. It had never been done before. Um, and people loved it. People really responded very positively. I mean, again, the, you know, these are epic fantasy games that that you know are kind of world spanning and and you, you know, essentially fighting and taking down you know gods um who are misbehaving but uh 
the you know to, to, to bring it all back around to have a personal focus and to get people emotionally invested in their in their party members um, in a personal way it, it worked really well and I think it continued to work well through Mass Effect like the first Mass Effect and Knights of the Old, Knights of the Old Republic and Mass Effect. I never played Jedi Empire. I, I'd be curious. I know you did, and I'm I'm curious um, how they did it in that. But as time went on, um, I think combined, obviously, with the kind of political changes and the, the political direction the studio went on, that the the the, the romance ability of, of of party members became like a a major selling point, or or one of the first, maybe the first, or or definitely one of the you know, if not the first, then the second bullet point in the marketing campaign and in the, you know, pre-release, you know, hype articles in, in the video games press was, you know, um, look, you can now, you know, uh, data, you can be gay in this game or whatever. And um, it, it really, I don't know, it's, it's, inter- it's funny because I remember at the time being kind of blown away and, and really, really liking not even just the, the romance, but just that you could, you know, have um, it. Was, it was a hallmark of these games that, in the same way, <clears throat> um, that you know, in, in, as in previous, you know, RPGs, and, and, and that you could like talk to random NPCs, um, that you could talk to your party members. Um, this was kind of new or entirely new, and and that you could like pursue, you know, multiple branching paths of dialogue options, which with each party member individually. These were really my my favorite parts of, of, of those earlier games and and obviously you know people love talking with their with their party members in mass effect and, and so on but but um i don't know maybe i'm just i don't know how much sense i'm making but i i i i'm trying to impress upon the zoomers in the room how um how really revolutionary it was um particularly particularly in the mid late 90s to, to be able to like you know stop your rpg you know quest and, and and just you know start a dialogue with whatever random party member and then not on, on top of that um you know, develop a, a personal or, or romantic relationship with them. Uh, yes, I think that's one of the kind of the standout things is uh, about all, all Bioware games is that they allow you to interact with a character kind of at your own pace, and it's and it it's obviously not like natural, right? It's it's guided, but it. They make it feel there's enough illusion in there in the systems of conversation that they make they made that allows you to feel like you're talking to a person. I think one thing that's very kind of unique uh, is that so it, you know as the person's talking, you'll get the dialogue they have the response dialogue, and the response dialogue is isn't like one to one what you're going, your character your character's going to say. It's actually kind of like a a paraphrase, a more simplified paraphrase version. So when you choose, okay, I'm going to say like the more uh, friendly response. It, your character responds, not in what, not not in the exact way you said. So it feels a little more natural. And every Bioware game kind of does, or, or the vast majority do. I don't know, maybe if you get one to one, and they kind of create this really great illusion of you guiding a conversation with a person uh, or a party member or whatever and yeah well and, and, and you that, find out more and it's, it's always interesting and it's always compelling 
and and there that that also I think speaks to kind of the the gradual um, dumbing down of um, of Bioware's products, and I don't you know how much of that is Bioware, and how much of that was EA, and how much of that is I mean who I you know at a certain point it's not worth, or I don't even <laughs> I don't even know how much it's ever worth really trying to yeah. unsuss that, but but yeah, yeah I mean that actually is a good place to mention the decline is in the most recent in like the Dragon Age games like in later day Bioware you will literally get like a symbol that like right that's where I was tells you exactly this. how the person's yeah. going to react to what you said yeah. like, are they going to like it are they not or is it you know yeah it sort of has a, 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 an icon with the emotional timbre and it doesn't you know you don't necessarily need to like read the textual description at all and you just kind of on it's it's really dumb um, and very unfortunate. Um, yeah, so maybe let's like we could start then transitioning into into decline and and, and fall a bit. Um, so we, we, I do want to kind of, oh, yeah. kind of chart. So I, mean, I think we kind of handled like the early stuff, right? That the the kind of nineties. So the two thousands are kind of the. I don't want to like so. They're obviously the peak. And Bioware does a lot of weird, weird fucking stuff in the 2000s. Um, they were trying to do a lot of games. They were trying to do a lot of partnerships. Um, well, basically, they were trying to make a lot of money, right? So, in uh, the mid-2000s, they they have like a kind of a quasi-merger with Pandemic Studios, who are very good. You know, also have a, a whole studio episode we do. Uh, they had a lot of great action games in the 2000s. Uh, but they did it with this f- equity fund called Elevation Partners, um, which was immediately bought by EA. So they kind of got like bought by EA, not not with their knowledge, but and EA kind of does allow them a, a good bit of uh, independence. But this is uh, when things get weird. So in in you know, seven they released Mass Effect uh, with the EA branding and all that. They also the next year, they they start doing all kind of stuff. I, I guess it's to make money. Do you know Bioware made a Sonic game? Yeah, uh, Sonic Chronicles: The Dark Brotherhood for Nintendo yes. DS. Yeah. Yes, the Sonic RPG. Uh, I never. Pl- I they, heard it was just bizarre. Uh, I I I is there a morality system? I bet the, I have never played this, and I kind of yeah. want to. I wonder is there like you could do Renegade Sonic or some shit? That would be hilarious. But uh, and then they also also when they started, so I was I think Mass Effect is, is kind of the kind of the the height of you know it's it's not a licensed game it's a original property uh, it wildly popular it kind of used all the Bioware mechanics and it kind of gave a proof of concept of Bioware making these big uh, AAA style huge team huge profits games and unfortunately the start of the next kind of boondoggle that they uh, they began work on or, well it had been announced before but it became like a big focus they kind of began, started focusing on the old public MMO, MMO which is one of the most expensive development uh, costs in history of any game I believe it was north of 20 million sorry 200 million dollars uh, for an MMO which is crazy and this began sucking away a lot of talent and probably, I assume, burning out a lot of people. Uh, this is when they they had to scale up massively to do this project 
it was it's very it was very ambitious it uses basically not not an engine they made but basically a relatively untested mmo engine um it's it's trying it, it it did a lot of things it was it was also on the kind of in a bad place where it's on the tail end of the mmo craze like the very end of when you could like physically make an, a large mmo and not it be a joke and it's it's the most very expensive you you watch the trailers they're all like totally like cinematic they don't look, they don't look anything like the game it's just like a bunch of five minute star wars movies uh you can watch and it, it isn't a bad game actually and, and the funny thing is that it is pop it actually it was very popular uh it was it had a million users in the first month and which for a paid MMORPG is it was I think it's a record, but uh, interest dropped massively, and they had to kind of retool it into a kind of free-to-play, you know, uh, skins and upgrades and multiple currencies model, which uh, funnily enough because of that kind of skins and currencies model is so, you know, successful and it's at over the next several years, actually, it's it's the most their their highest grossing title because it's a, a, a ongoing RPG that still has some level of player base who are paying a monthly fee. Some of them, it actually has made a billion dollars over the last ten years, but because it took <laughs> five years to develop, wow. five years to develop in, in in like their most peak time, it, it drew. It, it, I think it's it can kind of be blamed for um, maybe pushing a lot of people out uh, on this on this project uh, you know I think they're maybe part of the reason that there's such a before and after of Bioware is that the, the, it forced like the total professional professionalization of Bioware it, there, there was there became no more room for any kind of I think auteur element right it just it was just we make mm -hmm. big expensive products that make big expensive make a lot of money and uh you know, and they, the game came out in 2011. I think after 2011, you can definitely see the difference in quality. Yeah, well, uh, 2011. So this is it's important to keep. I don't want to uh, keep track of everything, but for for reference, Mass Effect 2 came out in 2010. Dragon Age 2 came out in 2011, and Mass Effect 3 came out in 2012. So yeah, I mean, and if, particularly when you consider the, the the process of development for um, for uh, the old Republic was so long and and fraught, I you know I sometimes you you're able to hear these stories in, in hindsight. Sometimes you're not. I know the um, there was a, a Kotaku series, which whatever you know, fuck Kotaku, obviously, but. You know the um, I think he, and I think the journalist Jason Schreier, I believe who, who who wrote it is no longer with Kotaku anyway but he wrote a book about the troubled development of Dragon Age three um, we'll get to maybe in a bit but um, I think I think I I would have to imagine it's a lot of the same kinds of problems where you're trying you're using an engine or developing on an engine that's not really fit for task or you haven't come up with it you know it, the, the project balloons uh, you you throw away lots of work. Uh, everybody's getting frustrated. It, it, it's a giant time and resource sink taking, you know, energy away from other stuff. And um, in, in the Old Republic's case, I never played it. I heard it's actually quite, quite good. Um, if you're in a, I, I was never really an MMO guy. Um, 
I, I know they they sort of sold it. The marketing campaign was was that you know it's um how to say it's got a lot of the narrative, the the good narrative and the writing that that you know is the hallmark of Bioware, and it's just doing it in an MMO genre. That I I have no reason to doubt that. I just it's just not really my thing. I, I also kind of have always just object objected on principle to paying a monthly subscription for for games. I, I, I you know with very few kinds of depending on the kind of thing I guess you're getting out of it. But for but for a, you know single player ish narrative experience. I understand it's a multiplayer thing, but but you know you're you're interacting with it as a kind of I don't know. It doesn't matter. Point is, um, yeah, I imagine those kind of pressures were. We're present, and uh, it would make a lot of sense given given the timeline. But but to return maybe for a second to the to the timeline. I mean, again, we're gonna we're throwing out a lot of stuff, and and maybe to just keep it um, sequential. So so Baldur's Gate is 1998. Baldur's Gate two is 2000. Uh, Knights of the Old Republic uh, we discussed a little in our in our uh, Mass Effect episode is 2003. Jade Empire is 2005. Here you see, I think that's where the, the, the this is the, um, I guess, well, okay. The first 3D Bioware game was Neverwinter Nights, which was 2002, um, which was basically the Infinity Engine, but but 3D instead of 2D. Um, however, Knights of the Old Republic and Jade Empire were, were they really like the, where were, were, were they were three-dimensional really for the first time. Did, did you have, you wanted to... Yes, I want to point there. That's actually an interesting thing with the engines there, is that uh, so it's an updated version of. In, uh, but the thing is, so Bioware invented the Infinity, or they made their own the Infinity Engine. It's their product. Uh, then they invented the Aurora Engine, which was a built on like a 3D built on that. And then in uh, in 2003, they made again the Odyssey, the Odyssey Engine, which is still in a their own internal core thing that was used up until uh, like Mass Effect 2. Um, they were using some version of the, of their own thing. Uh, one of the things that you can also chart the, chart the kind of decline was, or the kind of gen generic is uh, a vacation of Bioware is that in 2013 they stopped using their own engines. They started using uh, Frostbite 3, which is the kind of EA uh, unified engine, whatever you call it. So, yeah, there's definitely another interesting thing there about which which how, Frostbite how, yeah, they have they have their, well they also have their own kind of in-house Bioware feel. And it's hard to say, oh, it's like the engine that did that, but that is something that will make a studio unique is that they are up their own unique systems, their own unique kind of uh, pedigree with their games. When you see something like the new, most recently Anthem, which feels very generic, or Andromeda, which feels very generic, and they're on like the EA unified Borg engine, it, you know, there's you know, a lot of implications there, you know. Absolutely, and, and Frostbite in particular was developed by the Swedish studio DICE for the... Um uh the battlefield games right it's a, it's a first person shooter engine designed to quickly render very intricately um constructed you know uh scenes from a first person perspective it's it's not intended for a third person at all and 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 not for rpgs at all because the needs of you know for for uh, like we discussed a little in the call of duty episode um you know for the first person shooter especially a contemporary first person shooter like the hallmark is set piece right you do a set piece of whatever exploding helicopters and blah 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 and then you move on to the next set piece and so you know the needs for that kind of a system 
um it's not that it, it's not that it needs more or less than what an rpg needs but it doesn't like uh one of the one of the anecdotes from the um that series that i mentioned about the development of of, of uh, dragon age 3 was was that they didn't even have in frostbite natively they didn't even have a a, a save system because why would a first person shooter have a save system um you know at, at most you're representing sort of where you are on this uh on this roller coaster yeah, you're, you're checkpointing yeah exactly so there's just absolutely no need to bother, you know, about like what is the state, what is the world state in terms of like how many apples are in this barrel? Because which like for, for um, you know the the earlier Infinity Engine RPGs, you know, uh, much like uh, people would have played probably you know uh, the Bethesda games, um, you know Skyrim and Oblivion, the, the Elder Scrolls games and and the and the 3D Fallout games, um, you know, you 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 take a an apple from your inventory you put it in a box or you th you can throw it on top of the box i mean the game has to keep track of like all the apples in the world all the corpses in the world etc um th there's no such requirement for for a first person engine and so they had to develop all that from scratch and it didn't really work very well um but uh yeah i mean on on the on the note of the engine also or and then while we're discussing this and, and and sort of charting the 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 trajectory here of bioware um you have expressed i think you expressed i don't know if it was like off air or on air or, or both or maybe this is a good time to to go at least into a little more detail in, in knights of the old republic um you don't think it's a very good game mechanically and uh when you first said that i was like what but then I, in hindsight i'm like or reflecting back on it more i'm like yeah i mean it definitely stuck out at the time um it's kind of an ad hoc um lightly adapted to star wars uh third edition dungeons and dragons rule set very much along the same lines i mean like mechanically knights of the old republic um and i believe this is true of, of jade empire as well um in a way that it isn't true uh, it, it, they have no more, actually Okay, point yeah. Jade Empire was the first action RPG, the gotcha. true action RPG. Okay, they did. cool. Yeah, that's so the, then big that's divide. the dividing that's, line. Yeah, that's also the only reason Jade Empire is notable. It's a Chinese action RPG. Interesting. Um, but yeah, you know, it is an action RPG. Okay, cool. Yeah, so so Knights of the Republic is basically, I mean, if you want to think like so, so you have uh, with Baldur's Gate and 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 you know Fallout One and Two and Planescape, like I mentioned. Um, basically, it's a D and D rule set that's being applied in real time, but in print, actually, it's only kind of quote real time because uh, what is it? One round in D and D lasts six seconds, and and basically everything happens per round, so it's not actually real time. It's basically just playing out D and D six second rounds, like in you know, I don't know how it corresponds. But basically, it's like that kind of it's it's just doing the the round bit. Um, in, in terms of like straight up D and D mechanics, and 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 for the most part, there's a few little concessions made to being a computer format, but but basically it's a quite faithful adaptation of second edition or or, or 2.5 edition um, Dungeons and Dragons rules. Neverwinter Nights, um, which I, I don't have a whole lot to say about, it's kind of, it, it was intended as a um, not as a like a a, a a an experience for players to play through the way that Baldur's Gate and their other games are for the most part. It was intended to be a kind of sandbox for people to make their own um, like computer Dungeons and Dragons campaigns that you could join in with your friends. Very ambitious, very cool idea. Didn't end up really working out that well. Um, but but it's basically the it, it was an application of this their infinity engine to three dimensions and it was basically the same exact mechanics. Knights of the Old Republic is 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 Neverwinter Nights with a better story, 
in um 3d like before it's it's and and so in in very much the same way um as as Baldur's gate and those earlier two-dimensional isometric titles it's it's just playing out D D rounds um essentially on autopilot you can sort of you know pause the action to interject and make you know change your character's actions for the next round or whatever but um it's all kind of on autopilot it's all very number crunchy it's not actually um, you know, it's not responding in real time to your inputs as a player, um, which, you know, for, for a lot of people is maybe frustrating or, or not the best. Game yeah. I think especially with like the, it being a star Wars game, there's an implication of you doing like a star Wars at some point, you know, maybe a fire blaster, but yeah, you know, right. you don't. You don't. You don't. You ever really actually... don't. Yeah. No. It's it's D and D. It's D and D. And even like the the firing a blaster is like, you um you know you you equip your blaster wielding character with a blaster, and then you press the same generic attack button that you would attack with with a lightsaber. And then rather than watching them melee, and you know you can even uh, have the numbers appear for how much hit points they're dealing and damage per round they just sort of continuously fire and you can see how many um hit points in blaster damage they're doing per round it's it's um yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean watching and watching them watching them miss is like yeah. just infuriating <laughs> yeah uh, also like it does give do something it's like it's kind of like a there's like a some functions are actually like if you you can throw a grenade Kind of yeah, tactical. right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And also There's a the, little bit of tactical because, like, the grenade has a certain radius that it explodes in. Yeah. Yeah, and but also the thing is, you you can like run away to get more uh, action points and heal up and stuff or whatever. Right. Yes. And that so the, the gameplay loop becomes, especially if you're not slightly underleveled, it's you start a fight, you do damage, you run away, heal up, and just and kind of and, back. yeah, and keep kiting people, and it's. It's it's something, but it's not fun. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I think the draw of Knights of the Republic is there had never really... The main draw was, you know... First of all, there had never really been a Star Wars RPG. Certainly nothing... I mean, I don't think... I mean, again, like, sort of put yourself in the mindset. Um, this was at a time where, you know, for 15 years... I guess the, you have the the prequel trilogy going on in this time but but apart from the prequel trilogy i guess you had the uh uh the clone wars animated series and um and then like you know untold dozens of volumes of paperbacks of varying quality i'm quite a fan of the timothy zahn material um uh and some other things but but um for the most part the, the expanded universe star wars books were trash um and then video games uh, again of somewhat varying quality but mostly kind of in the action genre there was nothing like any kind of star wars rpg and there was nothing said in the old republic to my knowledge at all um everything was taking place in basically the same timeline as the as the movies um so so you had a star wars rpg it had the it had the really high level of of um bioware writing it had really really engaging characters um or at least some engaging character i think there was you know some stuff going on there um and uh you know it was a huge it was a huge hit saint uh jade empire not as much of a hit but but definitely uh set the stage for their for their further development and 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 obviously mass effect um in some ways i guess if um 
if Baldur's Gate and the Black Isle developed and published isometric 2D RPGs were, were the zenith of, uh, of 1990s computer RPGs and, and maybe of the format as a whole, uh, obviously, at the end, you know, as we sort of discussed at length in our Mass Effect episode, Mass Effect is the zenith of um, Bioware, or, or somewhere, you know, some some midpoint between Mass Effect and Mass Effect Two in terms of character and world building, narrative and dialogue, um, and and gameplay. You know, the gameplay in Mass Effect is is not quite as clunky as um, Knights of the Old Republic. Uh, Mass Effect Two is way, way more refined. Uh, yeah. Also, you kind of just see the like. There's still enough of that uh, quality writing to to kind of survive that kind of institutional knowledge and institutional uh, will to make a you know unique and well written product. And two, and you but you do see there's uh, to survive like the massive injection of cash that the EA EA brought there. Yeah. So this is when the, this is exactly this is the time when they're. Uh, they're they're acquired by Electronic Arts. I forget it was between Mass Effect and Mass Effect Two. Um, their first title published by by do you know? This is a, here's a neat little piece of trivia. Do you know what their first title published by Electronic Arts was? It wasn't the Sonic RPG. No, that was published by Sega. Right, 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 right. Yeah. It's Mass Effect Galaxy, a uh, top-down I iOS. I played it for like 30 seconds. It was terrible. It was sort of like a little vignette. It stars Miranda and Jacob in a kind of just like utterly forgettable trash. It sort of sets the... Um, yeah, well, I mean, it stars Jacob, so... Ugh. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, but the... Like, the imagine first... having Martin Sheen and, using, like, and not using Martin Sheen <laughs> oh for every God. single thing. Like, holy well, shit. I, yeah, I mean, we, we covered all this in the Mass Effect... Uh, episode. I, I I just want to reiterate, like, um, you know, uh, Mass Effect Two is a giant missed opportunity, and and I mean, for all the gr- many great things about it, and 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 how well it does hold up in so many ways, you know, this is really where you start to see. And I don't think it's fair to blame the takeover of EA. This is any number of things going on. Part of it, I'm sure, is the corporate impulses, but I don't think EA really cares as long as you're turning a profit. I I, I think there's more to it than that. Um, you know, narratively, it sets the it, it's pointless. It set Mass Effect set the whole the whole thing conflict set up in in Mass Effect One is the Reapers are coming. We need to find a way to stop it. Mass Effect Two is a giant side point about like there's these kind of quasi Reaper aligned things that are doing something that we don't like, and we got to stop it because it's affecting humans. And like, forget about all that stuff about we got to stop the Reapers from coming. We're just gonna not bother with that for a while. It's completely retarded, and and you see that retardation really start to set in um, around this time. Uh, th- this is but, sorry, yeah. But also, it's uh, it also allowed them to, like the money allowed them to access obviously the celebrities, uh, Martin, notably Martin Sheen. Uh, they had a massive market. I think they had a Super Bowl commercial or something like like that for Mass Effect Two. Uh, it it really pushed into the mainstream. It's obviously a, a huge game, one of the biggest games, and uh, I'm sure, as the audience really cares, they in 2010 they won the uh, Spike Men's Choice Awards or whatever it is, the Spike's TV's 2010 Studio of the Year. So a, a real a big high point in 2010. Uh, they won a lot of weird awards in 2010 for uh, they were inducted in the Video Game Hall of Fame as a studio. 
so they, they were kind of like, I mean, these are all kind of joke awards that no one cares about, but it does show that they, they kind of were like on the top of the world in 2010. Uh, kind of for everybody to see, I think they had, there were, it, a lot, there was still enough inertia, but I think once, once, uh, you know, the old public MMO came out, the, the kind of this, they, they kind of just lost, obviously the doctors leave around the, around this time as well, and they kind of just lost made them unique and kind of became uh, just another EA studio. They, they lost any kind of unique flavor after this, and that's, and that's, and that's kind of the actual story of the fall, is that, it was, I don't think it was so much that, uh, like there was a, a, a decline in writing, but I don't think it was like, you, you can't point to any one event of a writer leaving or the engine being changed to this frostbite. It was just, they, they, were, they were something different than everybody else. And now they're just one of the dice, or sorry, one, you know, basically one of the EA studios kind of interchangeable. Absolutely, yeah. Um, this is also the same point and it, it's worth, you know, maybe saying a little bit about, I don't, I don't think it's for reasons, I guess we're about to discuss it. It's not, I don't intend to do we don't, a, um, an episode on the dragon age series. Um, although I do think there are things about it worth mentioning, but yeah, the first dragon age game comes out in 2009, which it, it's kind of funny to me because at the time, the marketing, well, so there were sort of two prongs to the marketing for, for Dragon Age Origins, in which was again released in 2009. The, the first was like, we're, we're doing, we're going back to our roots in terms of Baldur's Gate. It was very explicitly intended and, and to be a, um, like, remember how you liked, you know how you like all this uh, action RPG elements that we've introduced with, with, with Mass Effect? Uh, and in in jade empire and how you know the, the, our games are no longer quite so clunky and 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 number driven um you know that you, you there is there's a more kind of both tactical and and action component to the gameplay um we're gonna do that in a kind of high fantasy setting um well in a fantasy setting like Baldur's gate but we're gonna be the other kind of major prong to it was it's not a high fantasy setting it's a low fantasy setting this was uh right around the time of game of thrones starting to become quite popular the 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 novels the first well i guess the series will never be complete but the uh the novels have been around for a little while the um the hbo series was just getting kicked off and um the plot of dragon age the first dragon age is, is kind of a beat for beat recap of um the plot of of game of uh song of ice and fire it's it's just rather than you know like frozen zombies from the north it's like you know decaying zombies from underground um but it yeah sorry go on but also i, I, don't, I don't mean it it's also like better than the song of ice and fire because oh yeah like, you you can see them like they are a force in the They're world. They're actually like, like something this. you have to interact with, and and yeah, and and there's yeah. more. Yeah, um, I I actually quite like the original Dragon Age. I think Dragon Age One is um, I don't know how well it would hold. I haven't replayed it in a while, but I I, I and I think there's things about it that are that are de- particularly like traversal on the world map is quite clunky and and um, it it doesn't you know First, it suffers from a lot of the Kotor problem as well, where it do they I, I 
a lot of the, the combat is running away and recharging your yes. mana or whatever. Yes. Uh, and it also, you know, it, Bioware essentially fell in. I, I, I think I believe this is also true of Jade Empire. It's definitely true of Knights of the Old Republic, uh, Mass Effect, and Dragon Age One. All basically have the exact same um, narrative structure, which is you have a like initial set piece um, that ends in a certain kind of calamity, where we realize, okay, we you know we we need to collect four MacGuffins, so you go to four set-piece locations to collect the four MacGuffins. Uh, stuff happens, you know, plot-wise after you collect three of them, uh, and then after you collect the fourth MacGuffin, you go to the final location, and then that's it. Um, and, and you know, whatever. Uh, the thing about um, Dragon Age, and, and I think it really, you know, they really wanted it to be like a a, um, a cool distinct world uh in much the same way we discussed the lore book in in mass effect they they tried to put quite a lot of time to not quite as good effect um with the dragon age lore i i think it i mean you know particularly at the time i was willing to forgive a lot of their um kind of the shortcomings of it and and how it didn't necessarily all add up into quite the same pleasing packages as mass effect yeah also, I think there's a bit of a dissonance with doing low fantasy, but also doing like elves, dwarves, and stuff. That isn't like their fault, but it's kind of like elves saying "fuck" never really makes any sense. Right, and the and the, and the trail the trailer. I don't know if you did you ever see? Oh, sorry, go on, and then I'll I'll say. And and they were very kind of like unapologetic about like how fantasy like so obviously they're showing a lot of like the kind of old uh, their pedigree I guess with Neverwinter Nights and stuff. In that it, it's like on a, it looks the setting looks very D and D. The characters look very D and D. The dwarves are literally short, like it, you know half the size of everybody else, and the low like the low fantasy kind of seems almost like tacked on. It's just like profanity and kind of crudity, and it 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 seems a bit lazy. Very much so, and they they're like just getting a um, get it getting a, a kick out of that. The uh, the the E three trailer for. Um I wanted to say for uh, for Dragon Age was was notorious for basically having like new metal rock music and blood everywhere and and just sort of people were, and like and like yeah like elves saying fuck as like you know we sort of do the it's like what are you going for guys um, yeah it was it was which uh, is uh, funny because Mass Effect is like a I guess military sci-fi is basically like low fantasy kind of equivalent for sci-fi. Sure, yeah. And it's 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 actually much more cleaned up and like kind of formal. Everybody's kind of it's almost it's kind of notably absent. We even kind of didn't touch on it. It's kind of absent of crudity. Like when someone it does happen because it, it, there's like soldiers involved. But like when a soldier says like shit, it's like kind of a PG-13 movie when they when like the one shit they get up for the movie. <laughs> Yeah. It's much more refined. It's much more refined, uh, which is interesting, in that you you would assume it's the opposite, right? But Dragon Age is kind of filth. Well, yeah, they're going. I mean, they they um <clears throat> they I think they they ended up toning it down, but but um like, you know filth and mud and dirt and blood are like artistically present on the um on the like the textures i mean like every battle and you know and, and and you get these really bizarre kind of exchanges as a result where you know 
because um, sometimes you know you, you whether fighting in, in a you know battle that has some kind of narrative importance or even just you know characters talking in the middle you'll like if you you know you 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 slay a bunch of zombies or whatever and um, your characters are covered in gore and gore and blood and then you like have an interaction with the with a party member and you're like having this serious conversation while, while you're like drenched in, in blood. It's, it's like, okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just very heard, strange. Is it in one or two where there's like a plot point that if you get like the zombie bad guys blood on you, like you, it's poisonous and you die. That's like a major plot point. That's like the, and then you walk around covered yeah, in blood for the rest of the game. It's, it's not, exa- <laughs> yeah, it's not, I don't think it's just like physical contact with, but yeah, that's like the, one of the whole big things with, um, in the, in the driving the plot of one. Yeah. And um, then, but then you just walk around all. You just walk around the whole blood. game with with uh, darkspawn blood all over you. Yeah, uh, very. Yeah, sort of totally dissonant. And I, I think they they were doing some interesting things. There was a lot of um, potential for uh, for uh, you know this develop in a positive way. But again, as we sort of keep harping on, this is now we're really started entering the downslope. And um, I, I believe it, it, it was also mentioned in this uh, this uh, article, like you referenced. It's a part, part of a chapter in a book by Jason Schreier. Um, I didn't read the book; I just read the chapter because I found it interesting. And I this was also at a point where I really started hating on Bioware, and I was kind sort of delighting in in hearing about how how much everything they were fucking up. But um, the game that was released as Dragon Age Two. Um, which everybody was sort of taken aback by because this was like, I think it was like 18 months. It wasn't even a full year. Yeah, it was, wow. So Dragon Age Origins released on November, th- in, in North America was released on November 3rd, 2009. Dragon Age 2 was released on 8th of March of 2011. That's less than 18 months um, later. That's crazy. And and you really see it in the, um, like Dragon Age 2 is is I don't know it it's kind of an like it doesn't deserve to be a full entry in the series of, of according to what you would think of like a you know major entry in a major IP um like that I I I don't necessarily have a whole lot to say about it other than you know um it, it, it's not terrible it 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 was it's just it's not what fans of Dragon Age 1 were expecting for a sequel it's obviously more of a kind of side story um, the the reuse of environments is is criminal. Like it, 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 you know, it's it's extremely boring to go through the same, um, you know, like you can even tell because the the maps like some like basically on one mission you go through the entire entire cave complex. On another you go through like part of it, and another part is blocked off, but you can still see on the mini map like where the part that's blocked off is and then vice versa for the third mission and it's and these are supposed to be ostensibly completely different locations um enemies randomly teleport in in endless waves it's just dumb and and kind of boring um the the narrative isn't terrible for all that but here's where you see really like um the the emphasis on um kind of dumbed down gameplay increasingly kind of not very interesting gameplay um, increasingly not very difficult necessarily gameplay or to the extent you want to select a, 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 um, a, a higher difficulty setting that, that there's nothing, you're not actually increasing the challenge in any kind of organic way. You're just, it, you, the enemies become that much like bigger of a bullet sponge um, yeah. and you, and you uh, become much more fragile. Yeah. The kind of end point of all this is probably one of, we, we didn't kind of, to my great shame, didn't mention it. In Mass Effect, uh, our Mass Effect episode, the endpoint of like the 
easing down of Bioware's games was that in Mass Effect 3, the developers literally didn't test it on the hardest difficulty setting. And yeah, right. on launch, it was like, was, I believe it was, it was impossible to beat. You couldn't like, po impossibly beat it. It was because they just, they were testing it on, I think, uh, casual and easy only. So when you crank it up all the way to, yeah. Yeah. Because, because, well, yeah. And so, yeah. I just, played Mass Effect and Mass Effect. I played most of the, I, I, I played them. I'm trying to remember. I beat. I think all of them on Insanity, except for Mass Effect 2, which I, I gave up because the Harbinger fight was, was just obnoxious. It didn't. But for the most part, I will say, and, and after launch, and they had sort of, you know, toned things down a little, that the balance of um, of difficulty on, on the Mass Effect titles was quite good. And um, I think the, the internal, the, 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 the combat systems were designed well enough to where, like, the the harder difficulty levels feel like a tough but fair fight which is what you want which is what i want as a player it's what i enjoy is you know like turn up the difficult like the systems work well enough to where when you turn up the difficulty it's not like it, it, it it's more engaging not less and when you fail it, you, you know you can more more readily point to what you as a player did wrong uh dragon age has just like never really got to that point and and i remember i um I actually, I think that the probably one of the, I, I played all the way, I did 100% at Dragon Age 3 purely out of spite. The more I played, the more I hated it, but I was enjoying hating it more, more and more. I just, like, everything about it disgusted me to the point where I was like, I wanted to see if there was anything redeeming about it, and there wasn't. Um, when I started playing Dragon Age 3, Dragon Age Inquisition, um, it was, uh, I started playing on the hardest difficulty level, and... I had to turn. I ended up putting on the easiest difficulty level because that was clearly the way the game was intended to be played, and there was no. It, it was a very bizarre kind of tonal mishmash because, like, they they pretend as though you know mechanically they're going to have like uh, you know the same kind of combinations and tactical intricacies as Mass Effect Three, which does this really well. Um, there was none of that in, in, in Dragon Age 3, at least in my experience. And, and my experience was very much one of just like harder difficulty means like you have to wail away on random mooks for like 10 minutes in order to kill them and you die in one hit. And that's just sort of like the full extent of it. There's nothing interesting or redeeming about it. It's, it's just kind of dumb and boring and, you know, bullet sponge is substitute for difficulty. It was awful. Uh, and I hated it. Um, and I, I, I was so by that point, the, um, I guess, yeah, maybe we can discuss a little bit. So, uh, was there, we discussed this in the mass, but I don't, there was not, there was not a male homosexual romance option in mass effect two, right? Correct. Correct. There were, there yeah. wasn't, uh, there were, they, there was talk about it. They did a proof of concept, which, uh, if you animated that, you're gay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And uh, no, it was eventually decided against it uh, because you know it was just in ten, bro. Like this was this, it's not time for that, you know. Right. Well, but then time for it was twenty eleven because that was one of the things that really stuck out to me. Like so much of Dragon Age two really kind of it's funny. Like in, in hindsight, and even at the time, but but now looking back on it, I see much more clearly. Like the um, even the male player character Hawk is sort of like it seems intended almost to be like, cause he, there is, there is like, uh, 
there is a, a female romance option or maybe a couple. I don't remember all the details. It was kind of a terrible. That's not terrible. I think Dragon Age 3 is worse, actually. Um, but uh, like, like in terms of what the writer's room is doing, they're just the way the plot works and everything they're they're in much the same way as i discussed earlier that the that that baldur's gate 2 is sort of um nudging you in the direction of having a romantic relationship you know you you were sort of intended to be a male character and you're sort of intended to have a, a relationship with this elven woman elvish woman um dragon age 2 you're kind of intended to be a male character and you're kind of intended to have a homosexual relationship with with this uh this this male character i i i firmly believe that um, okay so i have the opposite take not opposite well it's similar in areas two i felt compelled to do it with everyone like that was what the intent was oh okay yeah so you're poly instead of gay sure yeah yeah like you were supposed to do every single one of the like there's an achievement actually i think for doing them all in one like I didn't even know you could do that in one playthrough. That's it was. I believe it was like I'm trying extremely to extremely degenerate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, wow. Yeah, but you know what I'm talking about, Anders. The uh, the the. I didn't realize you had played it. The um. The I didn't finish it. To my okay, I'm kind yeah. of proud of that. Oh, you should be. Yeah, it's it gets well. It, it I think it's like there's stuff going on. There's interesting things about it. Like it 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 kind of starts off okay and then drags a bit and then picks up pretty well and then just crashes and and the and the last it's very obviously kind of unfinished and um the the last i don't know quarter or so of the game is is um yeah. quite bad but but uh, well i kind of wanted well we're still like i guess in like in like the peak ways we call it like the peak era of bioware i kind of want to tra not transition totally to the fall but so this was in like the bioware name was worth something right uh you know 2010 i think yeah that was the high yeah point. absolutely and that, of course, continued to, to continue to you know be so like Bioware meant something. It was an implied seal of quality of good writing, of all these things, but also now it's owned by Electronic Arts. Um, so things get weird. Uh, if you look on the Bioware Wikipedia uh, page, you'll notice there's a shitload of uh, like former subsidiaries because EA was basically taking any kind of trash. Uh, or even just like small startup nobodies and just acquiring it and slapping the EA uh, Bioware like branding on their on their studio. Uh, you have you get EA San Francisco, which made like a Dragon Age mobile game and a bunch of other crap. Closed in twenty thirteen, opened in uh, like really acquired in 20, 2010, closed in twenty thirteen. Uh, Bioware Mythic, which was uh, formerly just Mythic, acquired by EA, renamed BioWare, and then closed 2014. BioWare Victory, which was created to develop a Command and Conquer, uh, which then got dropped uh, in 2013. Uh, BioWare Sacramento, which was founded as Click Nation, which is some kind of mobile developer, uh, that was acquired by, by and renamed BioWare in 2011. And then the Bioware name had lost all that credibility and was renamed EA Capital Games 2014 because that, that now being called Bioware was like kind of a, a stain. You can actually track that in these little companies that were all acquired, named Bioware location, you know, put out non-Bioware stuff, was trash, 
and now the ones that did like survive are no longer called Bioware because they're good. Yeah. Uh, they <laughs> yeah. Go on. Sorry. The only Bioware subsidiary that still exists is Bioware Austin, which made the old, which became like the kind of old Republic MMORPG game, which is still ongoing because uh, it's an MMO, and is uh, one of the reasons I think you brought up earlier that you're kind of very bearish on the future of Bioware. You don't think it'll survive uh, past the new Dragon Age thing. Yeah, I think this year or next is is it. Sorry, go on. I'm very bullish. Not bullish on, like, the quality of returning, but so basically they have uh, they have Mass Effect, which is, like, like, a rabid fan base that hasn't been, like, sated in a long time that will buy... I, I mean, I will, I, I'm one of them. I'll, I'll buy next Mass Effect product. You know, I'm oh, going to. I'll buy the I'll buy the remaster and and wait for the mod that restores the camera angle lingering on Miranda's butt. Um, but what I'm saying is like so, like when they make because the next game is it gonna be it's gonna be a Commander Shepard game. Uh, I think that they've teased it. Wait, or whatever. really? Yeah, it's teased <laughs> that it's like after the events of. <laughs> All right. Um, but which fine, hell yeah, let's do it. Fuck it, bring it back. Sure, I mean, we yeah, why once. not? But yeah. But uh, but all that aside, I think um. They have, so they have, like, the Overlook was a boondoggle. It did, like, to kind of destroy the company in a lot of, like, creative ways, I think. But it is, like, this, it's, it's, kind, of, kind, of, it's kind of like a mobile game income stream at this point where it's, it makes a lot of money for not a lot of input anymore. It's kind of just, they have to, like, do some it's very minimal, minimal maintenance. And it brings in a bunch of money. It's their most highest grossing game of all time. It bring, it's brought in a billion dollars over its lifetime. So it's going to, they're, Bioware is always going to have this like kind of money printing machine of a, of a Star Wars MMO supporting whatever. Like they can fuck up for a long time before well, you don't see Bioware. That gets anymore. into like you know how much are going to people continue to care about Star Wars, which like is a related. Conversation. I think if you're still playing a Star Wars MMO yes. that came out in 2011, you you can, you're going to play that MMO too. So it's like, we, wow. we could like I want to let's go down this rabbit hole for just a little bit though because I mean I agree with you but the the interesting thing about that uh, and you alluded to this I think in the pre-show was uh, like the when was the Force Awakens was that 2014 I believe yes yes yeah. this is, this is so so this like Star Wars the Old Republic I don't even know what what is Disney's stance on on not like, canon yeah exactly because. Like the they they said basically all that extended universe stuff, which again, mo like ninety something percent of it was a like revolt, just trash, just just like. Yeah. But there was some good stuff in there, and they threw it all out um, and to to start over. And I wouldn't even necessarily have minded, particularly if they had you know adopted some of the the better stuff. Um, but even not if they had done something worthwhile with it, they drove Star Wars completely into the ground. So, and I mean, like, okay, the people who are, I would imagine, the people who are invested in Star Wars, the Old Republic, MMORPG, as of, you know, from 2011 to now, or from however long ago until now, uh, like, these are people for whom the contemporary Star Wars license does probably less than nothing. Well, there, there's that, but also, I think, well, it's, it has, for one, the wow, wow effect, where you just never stop playing it. It's, yeah, it's of course. It's yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. the methamphetamine of games for a certain like segment of the population but also like the age of MMO like a new MMOs don't come out anymore that kind of ship has sailed in a lot of ways and unless there was like a a Star Wars MMO of comparable quality I don't think I'll, you can see anything taking the place of this uh, and I don't even know how big the player base is 
but it's obviously big enough that it's, it it they, that Bioware Austin, which is the studio that like the only sorry Bioware subsidiary, uh, that's basically all they do is they keep it, they they very affordably keep the lights on at this MMO, and it brings them, you know. A massive returns. Yeah, for I this. mean, you may be. I mean, as far as the economics, I'm, I'm sure you're right, and and that may be enough to keep the Bioware name around. I, I just personally, I have a heart like, uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see how good um, the new Mass Effect is. I, I have, I, I think, yeah. the, I think Dragon Age Four is going to tank very, very badly. Um, Speaking of, I'm going to start wearing my Mass Effect hoodie to work right wing events. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make it a Nazi thing. N seven. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's oh, come up with some kind of esoteric symbolism. Uh, yeah. Well, it's well. No, I think it's this the the plural plural form of uh, the word that starts with N. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's the beginning <laughs> of the end tower. So someone has to find. We have to like N seven I seven. Yeah. Yeah, that would be funny. Uh, oh. Anyway. Uh, yeah. So uh, the other thing, I, I guess, or, or you know, it's part of the same kind of discussion that, that you were talking about is uh, like this is also when when Bioware starts having just a bunch of canceled titles, um, starting in in twenty, like you could almost regard Dragon Age Two as a kind of like canceled title or you know a title that should have been canceled but wasn't or something. I mean, it was just sort of like a weird anomaly. Um, 2013, they were do, working on a, in a, uh, a Warhammer Online Wrath of Heroes, a, a multiplayer online, free-to-play multiplayer online battle arena game. That was canceled. Command & Conquer Generals 2, canceled in uh, 2013. Uh, Shadow Realms, an asymmetrical multiplayer action role-playing game, captured, uh, canceled in 2015. Andromeda, another one that like, should have been canceled, released in, in 2017. Um, and then Anthem, also, released in 2019. All, outside of Anthem... All of these little games were not made by like original Bioware. They were made by Bioware skin suits in other parts in you know different totally different studios that were owned by yeah. EA. Yeah. So you it's it's kind of hard like uh, yeah you definitely these are Bioware failures but like it, they're not really in it's, a sense kinda, yeah sure. But like also what is like Bioware like Montreal anymore right like it, it's it's as has it's, much, how much continuity with old Bioware. I mean, is there anymore right like uh, what's the, the kind of notorious photo of like the mass effect 3 staff and it's all like pakistani women yeah right <laughs> you're talking about yeah, yeah yeah and i was like oh this game is gonna i was before i was in red pill i was like oh this is not good I, yeah it was actually before i was like even red pilled at all but i saw a lot of like dyed haired and like, women with dyed hair <laughs> and that was my cue not all the shit skins yeah, I I had a similar experience. I mean, that was I I um I don't think I've told this story before, but it was uh uh like I didn't even know what GamerGate was until I um had a, just a very negative interaction on a, on the Penny Arcade, like a sort of like a part of the Penny Arcade thing that doesn't even exist anymore, but um and and yeah, that was like cuz I guess yeah, that was uh Dragon Age 3 came out in 2014. And like it was just obvious to me playing it, and I wasn't—I wouldn't say quote red pilled at the time, exactly, but uh, I was definitely well on the way, and and it was obvious to me that the um, the 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 pink-haired feminists running around the Bioware offices were like doing the writing, setting the tone, you know, making all the important kind of um, yeah, which is kind of why you I think 
you see this in Dragon Age too, but like why things kind of became like about like weird romance options and stuff. Like yeah, exactly. It's like the only way like you can have any will to power as a blue hair because like you're not gonna make a good game, so you might as well fill it with like transgender mercenaries and oh my god <laughs> hope for the best right <sighs> yeah that was that was really the 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 uh, like i i i mean in hindsight maybe i just should have stopped playing but that was when i, I guess i i switched from like kind of being on the fence like i had already changed the difficulty setting because the the setting that was boring and and i just sort of was along for the ride i was at that point i was still kind of a fan of i was mostly a fan of, of dragon age as a series and and curious you know i'd heard good dragon age 3 it should be noted got pr- very good reviews think you know much like uh zoe quinn's depression quest and, and the kind of gamergate stable generally like way overblown is how, how good it was it wasn't bad but uh anyway um or, or not terrible but um the uh 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 that that interaction where where you're you're you know one of your party members is a head of a mercenary company and one of the mercenaries under his command is is like I don't even remember exactly. It basically said something about like people because it's a, the in, in game. It's supposed to be a uh, what are they? What are they? What is their nomenclature? I guess it's a female to male. It's it's a biological woman who who wants to um, who wants to like be a be a man or something. And the and so the head of the mercenary company is like, um, "Well, you are a man, and everybody should you know." It's just sort of like some kind of bullshit claptrap. And I'm like, "Fuck everything about this." And uh, there was a sort of narrative option. You can you have the ability to send the mercenary company off to die, and that is exactly what I did. And uh, never looked back. And basically just sort of played the game, the rest of the game from that point, just kind of out of spite. Um, and uh, I actually, yeah, because I never. I never played Andromeda and I never played Anthem, so I have not touched any Bioware product ever since. Um, as, as of now. Yeah, uh, I you know I I I kind of I've been feeling the urge to play Anthem, but what's funny is that it's not because a a we did, I think we both you but we you checked it's it's still very it's expensive. It's still right full price. Can you fucking believe that? I just want to take a note, everybody. Listen, we were recording this on on uh, in, in March of 2021, a few days after like it was, you know, news rocketed across the video game world that that uh, because because Anthem basically crashed on release. It was you know it, it had a it had a huge player base on day one. It's been declining logarithmically ever since. Um, nobody's really happy with it. There was like a an internal study they they conducted. Uh, as far as like you know, maybe we're going to reboot it somehow, redesign core systems, make it just to basically make a sequel or like a 1.5 that's you know a, a new game and all but like you know you, you an all but name. Um, and EA just pulled the plug after after the better part of a year spent you know working out prototypes and doing this study and fi- trying to figure it out what they're going to do. They decided to pull the plug entirely. There will be no more updates. There will be no more you know big content patches. Anthem is fun. I mean the servers are on, but Anthem is dead. Um, and and they still want sixty bucks. I I I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> I, I I just don't know what to say. I mean, I, I, what's funny is that I want to bring up is that I kind of I feel the urge to to go and like check it out, but it's funny that it's not because Bioware is just that it looks like a kind of a unique, like I liked the way the trailers made the made the way the character moved around the world. 
yeah, kind of a friend like um, VTOL Iron Man suit stuff look it, interesting. Well, it seems like basically the it's like the I never played Andromeda, but I understand there's similar jetpack gameplay in it's basically Mass Effect three gameplay plus jetpacks or flying suits, which sounds cool. I mean, I'm sure it's yeah. fun to an extent. You know, it's fucked up. I like, I never got. To, I did. I played Andromeda like a lot of Andromeda, like you know. And you never got to the jetpacks. I never got to jetpacks. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I guess I didn't play as much as I thought. Uh-huh. <laughs> or it was just boring and, and felt like longer than yeah, it was. Uh, probably. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I I, I like. Uh, I guess part of that is because it's part of EA's subscription service or something, and so they they don't want to. But but I I just it it floors me. Um, I, I, I don't even, as I said, I just don't know what to say other than, you know, here again, we have, um, evidence of just this complete collapse. And I don't even think like Andromeda is just painfully generic. Does, does Anthem really even have much in the way of world building or characterization? I don't think so. I, I don't know. I, I know it's like a loot, like there's a destiny, like loot shooter yeah. element to it. That's not the element. Um, that's what it is. It's like destiny with like jetpacks god we need to do a destiny episode too destiny speaking of like influential like oof. destiny I barely played ruined video games oh you, you i mean yeah we, like, we could do a looter shooter episode and like incorporate borderlands maybe god um, borderlands was really good everything else sucked <laughs> loot shooters um, oh god what a, what a talk about decline and fall there's one yeah. good loot shooter one good loot shooter and the rest of it tra- absolute trash you ever played the division uh yeah is it's it's it'd be great if it wasn't a loose shooter. Yeah. Like if yeah. it was like a far if it was like a Far Cry style game set in you know, that setting, it'd be really cool. But it's not, so it sucks. <laughs> oh man. Anyway, so so yeah, and, and that I guess kinda takes us more or less to the present day. I mean that that, you know, um we we like they they wanted to they they were clear they were they were saying in the in the lead up to uh, to Anthem that they wanted to branch out in other directions they wanted I, I'm sure monetization was was a huge part of it games as a service looter shooter you know Destiny was popular and successful um, yeah. and and they were I don't know I don't know it, it, it they, they wanted to do something original IP not licensed they had already kind of killed Mass Effect um, I don't know I am the the a friend recommended the uh, anthem soundtrack which is kind of it's cool i mean it has some good good stuff in there yeah. if you're into video game soundtracks yeah i, I have a very I, mean, I have a i think i have a good uh kind of a to kind of encapsulate the whole experience of the decline and fall so the bioware name went from being so reputable that their uh, in-house engine it was the aurora engine at that point was licensed by city project red for the first witcher game because it was it was like it was the gold standard of rpgs was bioware so they went from being used for like the Witcher to being scrubbed from the mobile games EA house. Like how they had their name scrub they had their name scrubbed from the studio like name because it was such games. a from the mobile game like for the mobile like clicker game shit. Yeah. Like that's how how went far they went down. Uh, I mean I think all my, my personal Bioware fandom is like it's basically just tied up in Mass Effect. At this point, I'll play the next. I'll play the next Mass Effect product. But I'm curious to see next. what it'll look. I'm, I'm not. Like, I'm, yeah, committed to. But maybe it'll be interesting, even if it sucks for content for yeah. this uh, this program. Yeah, but, but uh, like, like, I, I played 
Dragon Age on like Bioware momentum, like from okay, this is a great studio. They, sure. they don't really yeah. make mistakes. To now, I have like the opposite feeling where, oh god, if it, if it what, I, I don't want to play it because it's Bioware. Absolutely but no. I mean, I, I well, I mean, imagine how much more in, as a as a. As I said, those those uh, Infinity Engine, um, Black Isle Bioware games um, were like more, I think, than any other single experience. Kind of um, my touchstone as a as a fan of the of the medium, um, and I was hyped for Mass Effect even more than on the basis of like Knights of the Old Republic to me was just like I, I didn't mind the clunkiness at that time so much because like I was still pretty used to similar mechanics in in um, in the isometric games uh, you know I was hyped for Mass Effect on the basis of all of that and loved Mass Effect on its own kind of you know it was just a continuation of my enormous respect for Bioware as a studio um and, and I was even a fan to, to a large extent of, of Dragon Age, particularly the I guess the first Dragon Age, um, uh, on its own to some extent. Like you know, I, I appreciated it for what it was doing, even if it wasn't quite as um, great of an overall package as, as Mass Effect and Mass Effect Two. So yeah, I, it's uh, it's just been painful. But but I you know ever since um, like the the gay romance in in Dragon Age Two and and seeing the the transgender politics seep into into Dragon Age Three, I can only imagine what heinous degeneracy they're gonna incorporate into in Dragon Age Four. Uh, yeah, I do kind of like that. Uh, thank, I mean, obviously some of it slipped in, it slipped in the Mass Effect Theory and stuff and Andromeda a little bit, but uh, Dragon Age is so filthy and awful it's kind of like the picture of dorian gray where all like the yeah. accumulated s bullshit gets like thrown into the dragon age stuff and mass effect stays like relatively unscathed by the modernity <laughs> I guess call it, or late modernity up to now i mean we'll see where it goes from here yeah um, I, cause I, cause I also think anthem didn't have too much like of note like anything really character stuff so it, by definite it had no much degeneracy right. i think they really do say like it might be to the point where they they I, you know, I, maybe someone is saying, okay, these people who, like, we take, if you have a, like, a dyed hair, we put you on the Dragon Age team. <laughs> <laughs> and, if, and if you're an Asian guy, you, we put you on the, like, the Mass Effect team, you know. That would be really funny. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Because, yeah. because it really, like, the Dragon Age is, is it, I, I don't say I felt dirty, but I felt like, I felt like I was being pushed to behave poorly by the systems. Like, every, character is like making a pass at you at your character in well, a way Dragon it's like, 2 in particular was like that yeah. it's, like, it's immersion breaking and like yeah like, why is every character trying to make a pass at me like every yeah. single one yeah and uh and Dragon Age 3 to some extent also yes for sure yeah oh, I'm sure I think I saw I've seen like a couple of let's plays where it's that yeah. way which is also unique in that Mass Effect is not like that at all where you would assume as like you're playing a major celebrity kind of war hero you would kind of get a more of right. that, yeah. like groupy treatment, I guess you call it. But when you play like this nobody mage guy, every single dwarf is trying to bang you. It's it's bizarre. It's a there. It's a weird. It's a, they're weird. 
Dragon Age is a weird thing. Uh, it's a weird setting. It's it's a it's a mix of there's like oddly casual in some respects. Like you can reset your all your there's a lot of items in Dragon Age that can reset your entire character and like totally respec, uh, which is yeah, but it's, but like the game the, the combat is very so you like have very heavily RPG. It really is a bizarre product that. I don't know if we'd, we're ever going to get into an episode because it's just too painful. No, I but, don't think it's worth it, really. Um, but what a weird fucking thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's very strange. I mean, that's, again, you, you it's a pro- very much a product of, it, it's like, um, it, it's kind of like got this 90s, you know, Gen X, edgy, that particular kind of edginess in its original incarnation with one combined with, like, this game, which was which was feeding into the Game of Thrones thing. Um, you know, like the sex and violence are kind of up front in this fantasy world, this kind of a blank canvas, but we're also trying to do, you know, uh, this, uh, like we, we have our own deep lore too. And they had, I know they have like some books or something, comic books and things like that and trying to like flesh out the world, but nobody really cares. I mean, it's like it works for the Elder Scrolls games because literally nobody gives a shit at all about any of the lore in Elder Scrolls, and it's just literally. I mean, it's just like, I mean, they literally have a place like one of the realms is called Elsewhere. Like it's just spelled funny. Like I mean, it's like, you know, Elder Scrolls is is painfully generic fantasy content, but nobody gives a shit because the it's all about the systems and and this kind of open endedness. And obviously, yes, you know, we maybe I think that would deserve another episode on its own, but. Um, you know, for for all the kind of like blandness of um, Oblivion and Skyrim and, and and the earlier entries as well, with the, with the exception of Morrowind, uh, the like you can just have a lot of fun in this sandbox doing your own thing, and and you really don't need to care about like which epoch are we in and who is this you know character or what you know what none of that really. I mean, to the to the point where mechanically in game terms you know who the hell plays skyrim or oblivion or or to like advance through the plot like i yeah. mean nobody arguably right? like the the i don't know this guy i i uh, i don't want to say it. i mean i'll say it for the episode but now nah, i'll just say it. the elder scrolls games are like a series and like all the stories within those universes are just like kind of morality plays almost yeah. all of them yeah and that's the more important part like you don't need to know that like this guy, like the origins of this god of chaos, it's like, oh, he's just a chaos god. He's, he's a, a bad guy. Trickster god. Yeah, and he's a trickster, he's a trickster god. god. He's a ba- yeah. And this is like, oh, this is just like a like a world-ending apocalyptic threat, and it's playing the world-ending apocalyptic threat. It's not actually like relevant. Like the the it's it's the, it's filling an art. It really is like the, a very Jungian kind of. It's filling yes. an archetype. Don't worry about it. You you and because you have it like in here. Your, I guess, uh, Hyperborean blood soul stories are there, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, this sounds like a very spicy take for an Elder Scrolls episode, yes. But, uh, but, but Dragon Age has these weird pretensions of like, no, we're actually this very fully fleshed out fantasy world, and, and it, it, but it, it isn't. It, it just isn't. I mean, it has, I guess, some like cool, some cool ideas in terms of like, um, you know, ma- like, well, it pulls in these different directions of, you know, magic is scary and dangerous. Um, 
And there's this, because of the way that magic works in the in-game universe, and this is actually the, uh, if you play as a mage character, this is like the opening setup scene is you essentially are having to confront the, um, because your magic powers derive from your contact in the Fade, this like alternate realm where you're never quite sure what is what, and you can be possessed by demons at any time. But then they turn the whole thing into this really gay and stupid, like, you know, like uh, analogy for the Spanish Inquisition or something where like the Templars or the Catholic Church trying to root out the, the you know, uh, yeah, it's just dumb. I, it's, it's like, yeah. I mean, I'm making it sound cooler than it actually is. It, it, it's kind of yeah, like the, I, the Warhammer, you know, chaos possession thing, but like not even as, as cool as that. It's just dumb. The, but the, I, I remember one point where like, like there's apparently there's like the branch of magic you're not supposed to fuck with like at all. It's like the blood one. Like, yeah. you don't fuck with blood magic, bro. It's, it's super scary and super strong. And, like, if you fight a blood mage, they're really strong. There's one, ch I think, chance, like, you can, like, get it. Like, get blood in mage Dragon, powers. No, in Dragon Age 1, you can become a blood mage, and you literally just sacrifice HP for increased damage. It's really Yeah, I, I did it. <laughs> I did it, and it was, I was so underwhelmed. I was like, this is... This is, this gay. is the gay. It's That's just That's mighty gay. where I stopped and, playing it, actually. Yeah, it's just I, gay. I went into, and, like, and, I, I went into the counter. I fought, like, a random mook, and he was just as strong as he should. Yeah. Like, when I wasn't all juiced up, and I was like, oh, this is dumb. And, uh, you know, it, it, um, the whole thing becomes, in a, in a way that was already very tired as of 2010, to say nothing of these days, just a, a very belabored, turgid, stupid analogy for gay, like the mages are secretly gay, to the extent that in Dragon Age 3, there is this hilariously tone-deaf, like, I think it's one of these subplots in the thing where, like, the, 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 the sun is a secret magician and this father doesn't like that so he has him locked up in the basement and you gotta go like rescue this guy from the um from his evil father i think ever it's all very vague if i recall correctly there's a plot twist where like the son actually was possessed by demons and it's sort of like a little bit subversive in terms of like a kind of pushing back on certain gay narratives of like see like the homosexual actually they actually actually is a pedophile you know um like the the you know you, you the reason the whole idea here is like we're, we're locking up mages and we're suspicious of them at a societal level because of this you know um because of this possess uh, possibility that they're possessed by demons and and the whole kind of like in broad strokes the narrative arc of the thing is like no see man that's just like repressive like not all mages are like that you just don't understand man um, and in this like one particular case, the Naxalt like blows up in your face and, and the dude actually was possessed, but, uh, that's like, or, or maybe that's from, it doesn't matter. It's all very stupid and it's all a very ham fisted allegory with terrible, terrible politics. And, um, you know, wh whereas earlier in the, you know, the late 2010s and early 20 teens, um, some of that. Ham, terrible ham-fisted politics had started infecting their stuff but but really wasn't affecting the kind of the the uh the product as a whole by uh certainly by dragon age 3 and 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 now it's just completely like it's rendered them this you know incapable of producing a good game and you know this is you know uh i i personally am a fan of vox day i know he's a little bit controversial in our in our circles but i i think he's on balance quite someone worth paying attention to and um he wrote a book corporate cancer uh describing this exact process by which you know social justice warrior types in you know converge an organization and gut it and wear it as a skin suit and the inevitable result um 
it's not quite get woke, go broke. You know, Borzoi likes to talk, and I think he's definitely, you know, made a point and he's a very good point of like, you know, companies can stay solvent um, without even bothering to think about making a profit for quite a while. That's true, but it's also true that, you know, uh, the more that this cancer metastasizes within these organizations, the, the, the less fit for purpose they become. And the inevitable result of that without significant infusions of, of cash that are made for essentially ideological reasons is, is collapse and, and, um, you know, uh, being and, and dying, um, collapsing and dying. And, and yeah, well, it's an interesting kind of question. I'd be curious to like, you know, look back on this episode, maybe a couple of years from now, like, um, where will Bioware be? Will, will, will Dragon Age 4 and yeah. Mass Effect 4 even be out? Um, interesting uh, yeah. question. Well, to cap, to kind of, I think, cap this episode, I want to, I, I, well, I looked up the, you know, the next Mass Effect trailer, and I want to show you, I want to read the description and read the title and, and show how hard they're trying to lean on that, like, old pedigree. First of all, the name, like, the official name of the trailer through the official, like, Mass Effect YouTube channel is called The Next Mass Effect. So, you know, not even, like, giving any kind of uh, subtitle or what is it, just, it's the next Mass Effect. Uh, a sneak peek at the next chapter of Mass Effect Universe. A veteran team at Bioware is in the early stage. <laughs> it, like, they're really trying to emphasize, like, we're These not... These are the guys that you like their stuff. Yeah, but, like, how it's like, what is a veteran Bioware team? It's like, oh, you made, like, Anthem, like... Oh, you're the Anthem guys, you know? Like, oh, you made Dragon's Inquisition? Yeah, great. Like, it's... And and it's very like kind of non-committal, but like it's trying to imply with all the force they can that it's just gonna be like it's just gonna be like the old times. And I, you know, I'm hopeful. I hope it's good. I I want to enjoy the next mass. I, w I will buy next Mass Effect product. Uh, you know, I that's one of the few French. I kind of pride myself on not being too, like, uh, you know, imprinted on by product in my youth. But like Mass Effect, like Mass Effect and Halo. I'm always going to play it, you know, consume next product uh, at least once, you know. And I think, I mean, I hope it's going to be good, but I, I, I don't think so. I'm, I'm, I hope, I think, I'll, I think I'll be pleasantly surprised. I think it won't be as bad as I fear. We'll find out. <laughs> or we'll, or yeah. maybe, you know, we'll see. Maybe I mean, I'm not going to buy it day one. I'm going to buy it like a month after. Sure. <laughs> I'm waiting yeah. for the first two patches, no doubt. It's a Bioware game, you know, at this point. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, as we sort of keep circling around, like, what what does it even mean, you know? Th there's always... Also, like, yeah. also, what does being a Mass Effect game mean? Right. Is, is it, like, a loot shooter? Oh, God. <laughs> like, you know, like, yeah. it totally could be. You oh, play man. a Krogan mercenary, like, oh, God, like, oh, you, you know, pick your... Yeah. So oh, you anyway. can do all sorts of, like, you know, despite Let's being... Let's wrap this up before Despite I get, before being 13% of the galactic population, Krogans are responsible yeah. for 80% of murders on the Citadel, and that's actually evidence of anti-Krogan bias, and we need to do yeah. better because Krogan bodies are being incarcerated. And, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I can only imagine how terrible yeah. this shit could be. Uh, yeah. yeah. Let's I wrap guess, this up before I get... Before we get... We, we just dissolve in a, you know... Sure. This. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I mean, closing thoughts. I think we pretty much hit everything. I, I just the only thing I would I would maybe add is um, a, 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 once again, like I guess there's always a kind of ship of Theseus problem with these kinds of you know big institution, major studios like this that have been around forever, particularly once the um, founding members leave, where like 
you know, what does the, what does the, in what sense are the, is there really a continuity? Um, personally, I think you know, the, out of the games we mentioned, you know, presumably most of our audience has played the Mass Effect series. Um, if you you know, I, I've been curious about Jade Empire for a while. It can be maybe jarring, particularly for younger listeners, if you if you didn't grow up playing clunky, um, clunky isometric games. You know, they're, they're definitely from a different era. But but uh, again, there's really you know, it's the height of the medium, and in, in at least one of the heights of the medium, and and definitely something to. Um, to check out and 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 something that's still like there's interesting developments like if you like Dis- disco elysium uh this is where disco elysium kind of came from um there were you know uh, this, the, the, some of the obsidian people uh or ex-obsidian i don't know if it was obsidian or ex-obsidian people did um uh torment tides of numenera and pillars of eternity which are both kind of very much modeled on on those earlier isometric games so um there's stuff happening in the genre. It's sort of slow, still slow burn, but but it's quite popular, and I think popular for good reason. And if you haven't played any of those earlier games from from the early days of Bioware, um, again, extremely cheap, very easy to check out. See, maybe you know, maybe worth your while. Did you have anything? Uh, no. I mean, I think I think I think I've. I, I've made all my points. I think you know. All right, cool. It's a skin suit. Hopefully, it'll be. It's not going away. Uh, it's a zombie corporation. Oh God, that's so depressing. All right. Well, with that, I uh, hope everyone uh, enjoyed. Uh, as always, we welcome any feedback. We've had some some cool comments on on um, different episodes in the past. And uh, until next time, take care and stay safe. Be well, everyone. Tom, girls are dumb.